Hey, Paula. Hey, Matze. Uh, do you remember we promised to do this Hacker Cultures panel at the 4S and East conference this summer? In Prague, exactly. Totally. And then the coronavirus hit and everything was put online? Oh, no, that's not good. What would you say if we instead made a podcast out of it? That's a genius idea that I came up with last night in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> This is Hacker Culture's The Conference Podcast. This year, COVID-19 turned most conferences virtual. So to combat Zoom fatigue, we decided to try another format and turn a conference session into a podcast. This series comes to you from the 2020 Joint 4S East Conference. I'm Paula Bielski, and along with my co-host, Mase Oyala, we're talking with all sorts of researchers who study what it is to be a hacker and what hacking, programming, tinkering, and working with computers is all about. As a technical note, some of this audio was recorded through Zoom. The audio might not be at its best, but it hopefully doesn't affect the content our researchers aim to get across. In this session, we're talking to Ola Mihalets. Ola is a research associate at the University of Bristol and is interested in the making of technology, science and policy, specifically focusing on the cybersecurity of critical national infrastructure. And in this session titled Hacking Infrastructures, Understanding Capabilities of Operational Technologies, or OT, Security Workers, she's going to be talking about her recent research. She writes that facilities like power plants, water pipes, and railway stations underpin contemporary living standards across the world. And for decades, she writes, they've been in operated by operational technologies, or OT, basic yet sturdy computers without internet access. People working on OT facilities are traditionally manual workers or engineers with training in safety. In this session, Ola presents the results of a qualitative study conducted with her and her team between November 2019 to January 2020, where her and her team interviewed 30 UK-based security practitioners with expertise in critical infrastructures. Their analysis is concerned with the following questions. How do security practitioners define security or insecurity, and how do they evidence it? What capabilities make a good OT security worker? Let's go to Ola's talk. Uh, wonderful. And uh, let's moving quickly and swiftly along. Uh, we'd like to invite Ola Michalitz. Uh, is Ola with us here? I'm here. Uh, Yeah, hola, wonderful. Hola, Mihalix joins us from the University of Bristol. And I'll read out all the wonderful people that you've been working with, but uh, they won't be presenting today as we've uh, already discussed. But it's Sveta Mirajeva from Goldsmiths, University of London, Dirk van der Linden, the University of Bristol, and Avais Rashid from the University of Bristol has also been working with Ola on this project. And the project is called Hacking Infrastructures, Understanding Capabilities of OT Security Workers. Um, That's so interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about your like, academic journey? How did you uh, end up with this research? Like, How did you end up studying? Like, yeah, yeah, sure, did, absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate it's a bit niche, therefore let me just give you a little bit of background. So my academic journey... 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> so do I. <laughs> so my academic journey hasn't really been that straightforward. Uh, and I think it actually matters for this particular project, so bear with me. Uh, so I first studied geology and then did my PhD in climate policy, and which means that I really was interested in nature and sustainability from both the kind of STEM perspective, but also the social science perspective. And then halfway from my PhD, I encountered the literature on smart cities, the you know, critical social science literature on algorithms, innovation, and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. And I frankly got hooked. But then on the other side, um, I noticed that quite a lot of that part of literature, it's critical, by, by which I don't necessarily mean it's critical theory, but it's quite negative, at least in, you know, in my reading of it. And so I decided that actually in my stance, I want to be a little bit more constructive. I wanted to avoid generalizing into you know, the whole big tech uh, and actually look a little bit closer at the practitioners or you know, the, the people who work with particular types of particular equipment um, you know, when we talk about the kind of digital realm. Um, so to kind of to use the the notion of Sheila Jasnov, I'm interested in co-production, you know, between the people and then how this kind of feeds back into technology and then, you know, and then back again. Um, because I think there is, you know, so much more to the tech debate than critique of Amazon trillionaires. Uh, so in a way, my mission as a researcher is to help to, <laughs> to link the digital with sustainable in a way which is attuned both to them of both material and social aspects of the, of the whole scholarship. I think that's a little bit of background. And in terms of the current project, so uh, it's a postdoc project at the University of Bristol, and I'm actually wonderfully placed in the School of Computer Sciences, which comes with its own quirks. <laughs> so our project is looking at the major EU directive on cybersecurity of critical infrastructures uh, called NIS which stands for the Network and Information System Security Directive. It's quite a mouthful. <laughs> and so if for those who haven't heard about it, uh, think about it as a less well-known cousin of GDPR, the data protection law, um, but only apply to so-called essential uh, sectors like energy, water, health or transport. So we were lucky enough to... Um, interview uh, 30 people just before COVID and we would like to share the, this, uh, the results with you, uh, our work in progress. I just saw there is a chat question. Is it called NIST? It's called NIST, N-I-S, without the T. NIST with the T is the Ameri- American regulation, but uh, the European was without the T. Okay. Um, I, I guess this is a total rhetorical question, but for people listening in or just joined us, um, I, why should we care about cybersecurity in the context of critical infrastructures? What is the link here? Yeah, absolutely. So I think one thing to know about the critical infrastructures is that they run on entirely different kinds of computers than the ones we use here, you know, at work or at home. And of course, uh, these organizations, they have standard office IT, uh, which they can be subject to cyber attacks. So, you know, billing software, you know, customer data on smart meters and so on and so forth. But actually, our focus in that project is so-called OT, which stands for Operational Technologies. And this is a an umbrella term for various types of engineering equipment, so sensors, control systems and so forth. And quite often, uh, the thing about them is that they run on outdated systems and have clunky inter- interfaces, which is really bad for security. So, so, um, you know, 
think about MRI scanners being run on Windows XP or control panels and power right. plugs you know, don't have any buttons so you can't type any passwords or things like that. I don't that. want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, nightmare. <laughs> so uh, the thing is with hacked OT systems, they don't just mean you know loss of data or loss of reputation for a company. Here, human life is actually at risk. So imagine someone could compromise you know, water systems and poison our supply. You're like, ah, oh, dreadful. So hence it's paramount that these, um, the innovation in this realm is, is both safe and secure. Um, so what's happening now in that industry is where practitioners, practitioners call IT-OT blending. And more of the OT systems are now being modernized and connected to the public internet, which increases the attack surfaces. So the NIST directive is trying to regulate this process and improve the standard of cybersecurity practices across those key sectors, in Europe at least. Um, so at least that's the official narrative, which I think is to large extent pretty accurate. However, there's one thing that's missing from an STS point of view, let's say, is understanding how these critical infrastructures, so, and by the way, in the UK, they mostly private enterprises, is understanding how um, these organizations construct a vision for the futures. So it turns out that their vision is actually not necessarily about secure futures. They don't really think about it at a very high level. So our interviews, for example, um, interviewees have shown that at the senior management level, you know, when the decisions about investments are made, the case for cyber alone doesn't sell well. Um, so in a way, it's interesting. I understand it as an opposite of securitization concepts, you know, an in international relations scholarship where policymakers introduce extreme policy measures and circumvents normal, normal bureaucratic procedures in the name of national security. So here, although, you know, NIS as a policy was introduced in the name of security, still at the executive level, at the, you know, company level, people don't get the security case. So they need to be convinced about it because they don't really see this as an, as an, you know, key priority. So quite often what's happening is that OT practitioners argue for further investment in cyber by linking it to other operational benefits. So for mm, example, okay. better knowledge of assets or better preparation for system upgrades or potential mm. monitoring of aging equipment or even winning the IoT race That's, that really came, came across often in the interviews. Yeah. Um, so during our interviews, we also had multiple mentions of a cultural clash between the OT and IT security professionals. So it turns out that these OT engineers, they they responsible for safety, they they weren't really in close contact or you know good relationships with the senior executives. And the stereotype of them, so to say, is that they quiet, sit at the back, you know, they they don't have this glamorous job description. Whereas IT, the IT counterparts are stereotypically the visionary ones, the the ones who crave innovation, the ones who are good at campaigning for money with the senior executives. So it's not just the work-based cultures, actually, but also technical standards and protocols and jargons are different across these two, um, you know, communities of practice, so to speak. Mm. So to speak. Um, meaning that um, these professions engage, uh, although they have the, their own clashes, they need to um, engage in effective translation to be able to work together on these policy implementations. 
So we actually have recently published a first paper from this project. Ha, yeah, nice, yeah. nice, 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 nice. <laughs> Which reports on this. Um, and the paper will dive deep into this notion of OT expertise and uh, the title of the paper, it's very catchy. <laughs> it's not. Uh, it's, uh, it's called Industry Responses to the European Directive on Security of Network Information Systems, Understanding Policy Implementation Practices Across Critical Infrastructures. I'm happy to link it later. But yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. So far. And also, if anyone is interested, I recommend a scholar called Rebecca Slayton, who does similar-ish work on the IT-OT divide, but in the US context. Mm, yeah. yeah, that sounds great. I'm just like super hooked now on this idea of like cyber and water. This seems like a great intersection. Like, so what, like what's going on here? Like, what's your what's your manuscript that you or like what what are you working on? Like, what's, yeah. what's the cyber and water? I love this stuff. Yeah, yes, that's the, the exact interdisciplinary crossings I was telling you about earlier in our chat. So, so yes, yeah, so currently we're working on a more SDSE paper, hopefully in a social studies or science or so, or so something like that. Um, maybe later on this year, you will be, you will be published, fingers crossed. And it's precisely about that intersection between digital and water governance and, you know, how the expertise of both OT and IT security practitioners is informing this. Um, so by looking at just one critical infrastructure sector, we show that critical infrastructures is not only about the digital, you know, after all, they deemed essential for the society. So, you know, what does it mean to be essential? So if we take water, for example, for decades, um, water scholarship and water regulations, yes, you got water, <laughs> got lots you. of water, we like, <laughs> 60-something percent water. <laughs> so water scholarship, you know, people like Alexander Loftus or Ali Brown and, you know, I mean, dozens of people really, they've been arguing for just and sustainable use of this precious resource. And there are many ways to conceptualize water, you know, it can be seen as a human right, as home to humans and non-humans, as a resource guarded for future generations, source of hygiene and food needed to kept clean. So just so many ways to think about water. And our UK policy review uh, showed that um, in terms of water governance, the key policy goals are first safety of supply, then continuity of supply, access to water, sustainability and economic efficiency. So that's that's the priority at the strategic level if you look at UK documents. So we're arguing that digital governance, so here in this directive, is actually overlapping uh, water-specific governance, so here water. Therefore, we need to pay more attention and to these six goals. So, you know, whichever digital technologies are we introducing to the uh, water sector, they need to actually work towards these goals, not against them or just ignore them. And um, so what we're asking is that, you know, isn't this as a... Um, as a policy, is it re realizing the goals of water governance? And, you know, from the analysis, it looks like the landscape is actually quite ambivalent. So on a plus side, OT engineers have training and what they call mindset of safety and you know, the work culture of safety. And they argue, so they argue that the goals of safety and continuity of supply are always the forefront of their minds. However, in terms of the remaining policy goals, Quite a few practitioners express cynicism and stating that NIST doesn't actually regulate innovation, but regulates for innovativeness. Um, so let me just state it in, in the words of uh, one of the interviewees who said that um, we are seeing more, what we're seeing more and more is what I call shiny boxes coming out of the market. 
all of this is changing the market because people see opportunities to, del to deliver a new shiny box, a new system, a new bit of software, a new service. So that's really driving and almost pushing along cybersecurity innovation in the market. So it's quite a dim view, you know, just, you know, innovation for the sake of it without any attention to the goals of any policy. So, you know, that's really what we're trying to kind of guard against. In the okay. Program. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is really great. I just have kind of, Kind of like a last wrap question, I guess. I'm just sure. thinking about all sorts of kind of the sociological approach that you're taking rather than sort of you could take an approach for more like marketing, consumptive patterns or whatever, individualistic perspective. How is this like sort of, I mean, as a sociologist myself, I'm asking how is this useful for your research questions? Absolutely. Like your yes. research questions. So one thing to know about cybersecurity scholarship is often quite, you know, commercial, quite this quite corporate interest. Exactly, exactly. Um, so if you look at industry papers, uh, the common answer to this problem will be that there is a skills gap. And the skills gap argument, you know, to very crudely summarize it, it means that, you know, once we hire more cybersecurity professionals, everything else will fall into place magically. Sure, sure. <laughs> so instead, what are we arguing is that we need to pay attention to what qualifications and skills these people have. And, and because they actually shape the direction of, you know, how the policy is implemented. And also what we are arguing is that we need to analyze how these professionals interact with senior executives and policymakers when advising on key decisions to do with this. So in other words, we see this the notion of expertise in, um, in through social interactions. So we show that alignment of uh, NIST regulations with water governance is a matter of cultivating so-called capabilities. So capability approach, we drawing here from uh, Amartya Sen and Martin Nussbaum. And it basically means that we're shifting our analytical focus from policy outcomes, mostly because NIST is still very much work in progress. And we're looking at capabilities and capabilities are opportunities to align expertise with goals of policy. So in the paper, we're currently charting a number of social interactions, answering the questions whether, you know, NIST created anything valuable. Um, so to give you an example of present capabilities, we found that OT security engineers were consulted on the early policy drafts. So it turns out that the language um, of the early drafts was skewed to the IT systems rather than OT system, which, you know, had profound implications in the policies on the policy scope, uh, but luckily they managed to answer the consultation and shape the scope of the policy before, you know, it got rolled out to all the sectors. However, um, in contrast, contrast, when it comes to um, the absence of capabilities, uh, we looked at the official water sector working group, which was, which was founded by the water trade body. Um, and we found that this group actually didn't work because um, it didn't manage to establish trust. So working group members couldn't agree on the terms of reference. They weren't keen to share any you know, documents of the work in progress. They just were, they just sat there on those stifled official meetings, but nothing actually was done there. Um, so this is really our project in a nutshell. Uh, our first paper is already out, as I said, and second hopefully should be out later in the year. So let's keep our fingers crossed. And if you have any more questions, please email me or look me up on Twitter. And my handle is the same as my first name and last name. Cool. Cool. Right. I think you're pretty active on the East 4S conference Twitter thing going on as well. It's hard yeah. not to see you around. <laughs> and, uh, and please post uh, your reference here in the chat so people can check it yeah, out. Yeah. We are really excited to read your work. And thank you so much for joining us, Ola. And give Ola a great round of applause. 
This podcast series was hosted by Paula Bielski and Matze Oyala. It was produced by Heights Beats and Hot Milk Productions with funding from St. Gallen University. Thank you to all the panelists and audience members of the Hacker Cultures panel at the 4S and East 2020 conference on the theme of locating and timing matters, significance and agency of science and technology studies in emerging worlds. 